This morning, we uh, come to the close of the, that part of our Summer Lights uh, program that uh, welcomes in outside guests. Have you enjoyed yourself this so far? Have you enjoyed some of these wonderful resource people? Yeah, it's been great. I've been in other churches. I've been wor- worshiping. I was in the backwoods of Maine for a while, and I snuck out at one point, and on my handheld, I was able to watch the live stream from our church and catch some of what you were experiencing these past weeks. Well, you were in for such a special pleasure this morning. Inside of the Pathways Bulletin, you will find a bio, a short bio, on our special guest preacher for this morning, Dr. Alastair Brown. Uh, Alistair came to Christ at age 18, as you'll read there, uh, went on, uh, God led him through an extraordinary series of educational experiences um, with a bachelor's in arts and in divinity and a PhD from the University of Edinburgh and an MBA and all kinds of other remarkable educational opportunities. He's led him through significant leadership experiences uh, over the years and most recently has brought him uh, to the Northern Baptist Theological Seminary just down the road, uh, a, a seminary we have a close alliance with as a church family. Uh, Lisa is a student there. Many others uh, from this church have gone on to be students there. Uh, Alistair has come to be for me one of the great friends and encouragers in my life. And uh, it was a thrill to me to have the chance to bring him to the pulpit of Christ Church this morning. I know you're going to be blessed by him. I joked with the congregation at the early service that there really are two special things that Alistair has going, uh, uh, actually three that I know of. The first is the remarkable woman uh, he's married to, Allison. Allison, you're out there someplace. Raise your hand so we can spot you. There you are, the beautiful white hair. I'm aspiring to have hair like Allison. I'm not far off. Uh, And... uh, Allison uh, and Alistair share uh, parenting of four wonderful children. Uh, the second thing Alistair's got going is uh, that Scottish accent. And I've said before, you're 10 points ahead as a preacher when you have a Scottish accent. You just automatically, you've got, you sound like you know what you're talking about and people are paying attention. Uh, you'll discover that to be true this morning. And lastly, Alistair loves the Lord Jesus. That's really the highest and best thing I can say about him. He loves Jesus He's passionate about his kingdom, about seeing others enter into the life of that kingdom. And you're going to hear about that uh, as he speaks with us this morning. Will you join me in giving a very warm welcome to our friend, Alistair Brown. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. God bless you. Well, I'm very, very grateful for the welcome very grateful for the courage of your pastor in letting me come and speak with you. I will try neither to um, let the accent get in the way, nor to trade too much on the idea that there's more wisdom because of it. But I like that idea very, very much. It's, it's a great thought. And, uh, but thank you. And, uh, do you know, as, as uh, Dan was making mention of education, there, there were a lot of years went into that. I'm not sure I could easily have started on it if I knew what it would mean. But when students at Northern Seminary give me any indication, oh my, this is a lot of work, it's taking a lot of time, I say, you're only just beginning, friend, you know. So, but the reason partly I got into that, when I very first inquired about the steps I would need to take to be trained to become a pastor. 
I wrote to the principal of the Scottish Baptist Theological College. And this is a while back, but he belonged to a real previous age, and I got a handwritten letter, which I've kept, because he outlined some steps that, that might take several years of doing one degree, doing another degree, and, and so on. Because I'd, I'd begun in journalism with no degree of any kind. And so, you know, go and get that, a basic degree first, and then go on and do theology. He finished his letter realizing he was writing to a young man who would regard this as quite challenging. And he said, to you this will seem a long and difficult journey, but never forget the work and the master are worthy of the best. I've kept that letter, but I've kept those words dear in my heart. In fact, he didn't get anything like the right number of years of study. It was more but the work and the master are always worthy of our best. And whatever God's calling on our lives, let us live, live that out. I'd love if the calling on, God, on your life were included coming to study with us at Northern Seminary. You know, if we could enroll all of you, wow, that would be something. I do believe God calls every Christian to deepen and develop their faith. For some, that does mean coming to a theological seminary, and we are just along the road. But, but for others, it happens in other ways. Never settle for where you are with God. He really does call you to more. Well, thank you for all that welcome. Allison and I are delighted to be here. By the way, I've told her for years I love the white hair. I can spot her in a crowd, no problem. So it's been great. And uh, she, she also points out to me her hair was completely black till she met me, and it changed. Okay. Sadly, I'm willing to believe that too much. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 to 15 in just a moment. But I want you to understand this morning, because it's going to run as a thread through everything that I say, a distinction between what is possible and what is available. And let me use a couple of illustrations to try and make sure that we are understanding that distinction together. One of the things that has been a recurring sin in my life, it's okay, I'm not going to get fired for this, but it is dreadful, is that I will come home later than I should. My most recent major trespass was just Friday night. I was only an hour and a half later than when I told Allison I would be home. But this, I confess, has been throughout. And I believe God allowed microwaves to be invented, to rescue poor people like me who have this sort of sinful life. And way back one day when I was working as a pastor, I must have come home way beyond normal family mealtime. And as I crept in the door, somewhat nervously, I, um, I, I, I glanced first of all in, in the kitchen. The, the, the meal was long since over for the rest of the family. But I glanced in the kitchen where typically there would be the plate of food ready for me to push it back into the microwave. But there, there was no food. So I went searching upstairs, found Allison, who was busy with something upstairs. And this was a time for major groveling. And we got through that, and I was forgiven again. And uh, I said, now, can I gently inquire about evening dinner? She said, I left it on a plate down in the kitchen on the worktop. 
And I said, no, 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 you didn't. She said, oh, yes, I did. And those are the conversations we all have. They go on a long time. But anyway, we resolved it by saying, we will both go downstairs and find this. So we entered the kitchen, and Alison said, well, there's the plate. But it was just the plate. And I said, and there's the dog. (laughs) My meal in the dog, who was very happy with himself, herself. And uh, what was possible was not available. Another illustration. I'm not too much of a fan of PE things when I was back in school. I kind of enjoyed it, but I, I was never quite built. I mean, for example, um, the challenge for me when it was the season for getting outdoors and doing athletics properly, the challenge for me in the long jump was never how far through the sand, but could I actually reach the sand? So you understand. But there was one period in the year when they canceled PE, and it was in the run-up to Christmas because the school always had a student's Christmas dance. So in the weeks leading up, PE became dance lesson time. And in later life, I have been grateful. Foxtrot, waltz, all sorts of Scottish country dancing. It's been very, very useful. But at the time, I loathed it with a quality of loathing hardly rivaled ever in my life because it wasn't the dancing. It was the way you had to begin. And they would line all the fellows up against one wall of the gymnasium and all the girls up against the other line. We'd just sit on these little benches, and then when the teacher kind of said, go, this was in a very chauvinistic and kind of formal age, I was supposed to walk all the way across to the other side, and in my mind, it was at least five miles. I had to walk across, and the young lady would see you coming, and she's thinking, not him again. And I had to say, would you grant me the honor of the next dance? And the bit that bugged me was not that I couldn't remember the lines, because mostly I could, and they've obviously continued to haunt me, but we are in the very permissive 60s, which meant she was permitted to say no. (laughs) And everyone had seen this, and you were left to find a spare from somewhere who knew she was not your first choice. Oh, my world would just bottom out at that moment. Just dreadful. Because what should have been possible turned out not to be available. You get the point. Something what you really expect should be actually isn't there for you at all. Hold that whole line of thought, but maybe not all the illustrations in your mind, while I now read to you Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 15, because it's a passage all about what's possible and the issue of whether or not it is actually available. Verse 9 kind of jumps into the middle a little bit, but it's not too difficult to pick up what Paul is writing. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord— and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, 
Anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. In that passage, Romans 10, 9 to 15, Paul addresses, Paul answers two questions. Here is the first. Is salvation possible? Is it possible? And the answer could be negative, because not everything is possible. When I was about nine or ten, I remember playing down by the river, which was just outside our back gate, and somewhere from around a bend in the river, I heard a voice that I thought I recognized, a young lad about my age, maybe a year younger, called Sandy Clark. I recognized the voice shouting, help, help. And I thought, what a nuisance that young Sandy Clark is. Then I saw a figure running faster than his figure could ever have been designed for. It was Sandy Clark's father, who had realized his son had fallen in the river, and hearing his cries, ran and dragged the little boy out and took him off. I bet you blood pressure was pretty high at that moment for maybe both of them. The son had called out for rescue, and rescue had been possible. Our daughter Jude has done skydiving. She thought it was a great thrill and excitement. Boy, am I glad she didn't tell us until after she'd done it, because then we could share in her excitement instead of being totally terrified. Um, But had she somehow failed to fasten the harness or something and stepped out of that plane and the harness had flown off, parachute gone, and she's on the way down, well, in theory, she could shout, help, help. But despite what you see in the movies, help is not coming. Use your breath for prayer at any moment like that that ever comes along in your life, because it's not going to come any other way. Do you see what I'm getting at? Sometimes what you would long to be, long to have, is simply not possible. So is salvation possible? Well, it might not be. Our sins could be too dreadful. The, the length of time we've ignored God could have gone on too long. There could be no provision for rescue, no rescuer, no way back, no way out of this mess that our disobedient and defiant and disorganized and destructive lives have got us into. But of course, happily, the message here and elsewhere in the Scripture is, yes, there is rescue. Yes, there is a rescuer. Earlier in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes, God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. 
there is rescue. There is a rescuer. His name is Jesus. We are not abandoned. We are not lost. We are not in a hopeless place. Salvation is possible. And in Romans 10, Paul clarifies two points about that. First of all, it's possible for everyone. See, something can be possible, but might not be for you. I mean, it could be that that side of the, the sanctuary, away off to my right, your left, they, they could be all heading for, oh, a dreadful perdition. Well, now that I look at you—no, you could be, though. They could be like that, whereas the, be- the, the, the lovely people on my left, you're right, could all be heading for a glorious eternity. How to lose half the congregation's interest at this point? I'm sorry. But it could be. God could discriminate. could be that some are in, some are out. It could be like that. It could be it's just for the good people. could be just for the religious people. could be for just the Jews or someone else. There would be no hope for anyone else at all. When I was a child, I remember in my town that— um, that there was a Christmas—well, originally it was a Christmas party. By the time I came along, it was a trip to the movies to, to watch, I don't know, westerns or cartoons or something. And it happened every Christmas, and it was called the Anne Black Treat, because Anne Black had made a lot of money, and she'd laid this, left this foundation to provide for all the children of the town some special event every Christmas. I went to that my guess is you didn't, because it was only for the kids from my town, and I don't think you come from there. What about this salvation? Is it possible that you are included in that? And the answer Paul gives very clearly, and it's there in in verse 12, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and He richly blesses all who call on Him. For, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. No one's excluded. It's not impossible for a single person on the face of this earth. One gospel for all people. No one missed. No one excluded. Everyone has that possibility. But the second point Paul clarifies is it's possible only through Jesus. And again, verses 12 and 13 make that really clear. He's quoting from the Old Testament, but applying it to Jesus. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord, the one Lord, is Lord of all. Lord for all. And He richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is possible, but only through Jesus. That's not a popular message in this day and age. We live in these postmodern relativistic times. People say, it doesn't matter what you believe, providing you believe it doesn't matter. And we struggle with any kind of exclusive claims for any particular way or even any particular person. I remember when many years ago Alice and I moved town, we had to change banks. We got all the brochures. We asked advice, and we were looking for a couple of things in particular. One, of course, was the plastic card. Nice little slot in the wall. You put in plastic and get money. It can be a daily miracle. It works. 
Alison is the rationalizer between us and says, actually, there is a reason this happens. Starts with putting money in. Oh, well, that's inconvenient. But, but you know, we like that kind of thing, or at least I do. And, uh, and so we needed a bank, of course, that did that. And, and this is in the day and age before internet banking, which is the thing now. But, but there was telephone banking. And I knew Alison would need that because if it's the middle of the night, three in the morning or whatever, and she wakens up and remembers that a bill has not been paid, she'll have to get up, go through. She would get on the phone and she'd sort all this out and she'd climb back into bed. And of course, I'd waken up and grumble. And, and, and she would whisper to me, do you know, I got on the phone and I got straight through and I'm saying it's three o'clock in the morning, and you're surprised you got straight through. But she likes that kind of thing, and these days it's internet banking. Do you know, we would tell people afterwards we really loved our bank, and it was great. It gave us the card. It gave us the telephone banking and all this kind of thing. Nobody once said, oh, which bank? Can I sign up there as well? Why not? Because whoever they banked with did it too. Yeah, sure, between banks, there can be minor differences, but essentially they are providing much the same sort of services. So they could be happy for me that I liked my bank, but they liked theirs and somebody else liked theirs. And that view about banks is exactly how people in olden times and modern, postmodern times see religion. So they can be content for me that I'm, I'm a Christian and it fulfills my life, but they're Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu or whatever else. And that's supposedly, that's fine for them. And it's not for anyone to evangelize anyone, to change religion, because each to their own. That's the age in which we live. And Paul says, but it isn't like that. It's not fine to believe anything. It is Jesus who is the Savior that God has sent, and salvation is through Him. There is the same, the one Lord who is Lord of all. There are not lots of ways. There are not lots of saviors. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter and the other apostles preaching in the streets of Jerusalem at great risk to their life said, salvation is found in in no one else for there is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. And of course, he was speaking about Jesus. They died proclaiming that there was one Savior for all people. There is only one God. There is only one Savior. There is only one salvation. Friends, it's possible for everyone. And it's possible only through the one gospel. And I find that both terrifying and exciting. Why is it terrifying? If you are on a sinking ship, and you ignore or miss the lifeboat that comes along to rescue you, you are then lost. You must take that rescue when that rescue is there for you. God has sent Jesus and we must have Jesus. There is no other way. If you miss Him, you have nothing else. It's exciting. Why is it exciting? Because since it all revolves around Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, if you have Him 
if you're sold out to Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, then you have everything, everything with Him. You do not also have to serve some apprenticeship to see if you're any good at this Christian life. You do not have to earn some righteousness points to qualify for heaven. You don't need to change culture. You don't have to dress posh. You do not have to master the vocabulary of the King James Version. You just have to be His, holy His, forever His. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to love Jesus. You need to serve Jesus. This is how it is for all peoples of all ages and all backgrounds. As verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, the answer to that fundamental question, is salvation possible? The answer is yes. Gloriously, yes, it is possible. But let me remind you of the distinction between what's possible and what's available. So, of course, we come to the second question. Is salvation available? And the answer from Paul is a resounding yes, maybe. And he explains from verse 14 onwards in a series of questions, because you see, sometimes what is possible and you'd expect to be the case turns out not to apply. And the reason can be because the person has not had that thing made available to them. I, I worked as head of a mission agency before, visited 40-something countries of the world, met many incredibly poor people, and many of them were sick or disabled with conditions that could easily be treated in the West, but they remained ill because it was not a, treatment was not available for them. Is that how it is in respect of salvation? And Paul says a definite maybe about that. Verse 14 has that series of questions. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they're sent? You can sum that up by the phrase, people cannot know, people cannot believe if no one has ever told them. It's a truism for life. You can't know what you've never been told. See, I know lots of things. For example, I know how to do knots. I can do a reef knot. I can do a round turn and two half hitches. Not everyone can. I know how to track someone through sand or snow, and I would even know if they were trying to fool me about their direction of walking by going backwards. I would know if they were doing that. I, I can identify trees. I know flags in the world. How do I know all this stuff? Because I was in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> and all these sort of life-critical things were amongst those that were taught 
to us at that stage. But of course, there are things I do not know. You see, I don't know gardening. Oh, I can do some hard landscaping. I can build things. But Alison would not let me near the plants because I wouldn't know if something was a beautiful flower or a weed, and I might just pull it out. Or else I might help it grow, and it will take over the whole garden. I don't, I don't do gardening. I, I don't do washing machines either. <laughs> These mysterious monsters that you have to feed with dirty clothes. But if you talk to them and pat them nicely, they spew out clean clothes. I like them, but I don't know how to work them. I don't do cooking. If I was to achieve edible scrambled egg, this would be the pinnacle of my culinary arts. Why, why do I not know gardening, washing machines, cooking, and a number of other things? Because no one's ever taught me. And in recent years, I've discouraged them teaching me. <laughs> I call it strategic incompetence. But you get the point. You know what you know because someone taught you or somebody told you. How can they believe, Paul says, in the one of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? Friends, five out of six on the face of this planet have no living faith in Jesus Christ. Somewhere between a quarter and a half of the world's population have never even heard the gospel in a way that might lead them to put their faith in Christ. We do not live two years, 200 years. We live some 2,000 years after Jesus walked on the earth. Where have we been? Where have we been that so many do not believe, so many have never even heard? How can this be? And too often we privatized our faith, rejoicing in our own salvation, celebrating, hands up in worship, which is fine with me. But how come we keep it to ourselves and enjoy the blessings and do not share with others? There's a quote in your worship folder from Augustine talking about that which you pursue as good, your neighbor needs to know also of as good. And he was referring to Christ. But we've been too frightened and too embarrassed to share What's possible about salvation has all too often not been made available. And rather than beat you up about that this morning, I'd far rather encourage you, because sometimes we think that we just don't know enough, and we somehow got to be a, a trained and immensely gifted evangelist in order to ever, ever bring somebody to faith. And they're going to ask us all sorts of questions that we would never know the answer to, and they'll have sorts of powerful arguments, and they might even destroy our faith. Friends, that's not what it's about. Our job is not to persuade the unpersuadable, but it is to tell those in whom God is already at work and who really, really want to know. And they're there. They're, they're really all over the place. When I was very young in pastoral ministry, I remember being given the name of a lady whose first name was Margaret. 
and it was on a piece of paper, and they said, her children come to church, to, to her children's Sunday school, but she never comes, so you ought to visit her. Oh, boy, don't pastors love that? Anyway, I could put this piece of paper in my pocket, and I really didn't relish the idea of knocking on a stranger's door and somehow trying to reach out to her. So I ignored it for at least two weeks. And then I found I was doing another kind of pastoral visit in the same street where this lady lived. And it was four o'clock in the afternoon. I really just wanted to go home and have a nice cup of tea. But I thought, I'm going to get this over with. I'll still be home by 10 minutes after four, because I'll explain who I am. She'll say she's not interested, and I'll go away. So I knock on her door. She opens the door. I explain who I am. She said, well, I think you should come in. And I went in and immediately knew it was a mistake because the house was infested with children. I didn't know this lady did childminding in her home through every day. And what made it even worse was I'd gone at four o'clock because she took more children in as an after-school club until their parents were finished their employment. There must have been, there must have been about 30 children in that lady's living room, which would be, a, well, well under half the size of the platform up here. She said, come into the kitchen where we can talk because it will be quieter. Yeah, in this tiny little kitchen, smaller than this raised platform, there were at least six children in there. But she made the cup of tea. We sat down opposite sides of the kitchen table, and after some pleasantries, I said, Margaret, I would dearly love to be able to talk to you about Jesus Christ. And she said, I've so needed somebody to talk to me about this. She said, two weeks ago, my brother, aged 29, died. And I need somebody to tell me if there is any life beyond this life, someone to tell me if there is an eternal life. I rolled my eyes, and I began. And please hear me if I say, it really isn't always like this. But on that day it was. Half an hour later, I heard myself, I was really quite shocked at my own words, say to her, Margaret, would you like to become a Christian today? I was more shocked by her answer. Yes, she said. I said, well, what if I pray a sentence or two, and then I'll stop, and you say to God whatever's on your heart. So I prayed my sentence or two. I stopped. And she began to say words to the effect of, God, I'm so sorry. I've lived to this point in my life without you. And I now want to give everything to you. Please receive me uh, into your arms, or whatever exactly she said. And as she prayed that prayer, I was literally pulling little children off her so this woman could get these words out. And she did. And she gave her heart to Jesus. And the last time I saw her was about 20 years after that meeting in her kitchen, and she was walking with God, attending church, sharing her faith with others. Friends, she was someone who so needed someone just to talk, and there's been so many more. Helen, who came to a small meeting in our house and just wouldn't go away when it ended, and eventually found out, she said, I, I just want what you've been talking about today. Please, can I become a Christian? And she did. She really did. 
and there have been others down through the years too. Don, Maureen, couple were in their early 30s, perfect marriage, perfect boy-girl kind of family thing, or so it seemed. And they said, we have everything, and yet we have nothing deep in our souls. Please, will someone tell us about God and about how our lives can be fulfilled? And Morag, who was left with two children when her husband decided he would run away with Morag's best friend, who lived just down the street. And David and Etta and their children. David was a school janitor, and we were doing a church plant, and we had booked to come to that school. And they'd often talked about going to church somewhere, but never had. And now church came to them, and just listening and learning came to faith in Christ. Friends, God calls us to be His mouth in this world to speak His words, and there are people everywhere, maybe in your family, in your street, in your office, factory, whatever, whatever place God has set you. And they want to know, they want to learn, they want to believe. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Listen, let me close with two challenges, and just keep this possible available thing in your mind. First, ensure that you avail yourself of what's possible. You see, to skydive, our daughter Jude did not only need a parachute. She actually had to get out of the plane. And when she talked about it later, let me just move for a minute. When she talked about it later, she said the scariest moment was standing at the door of the airplane, and the light went green. And there's all this wind rushing past. And she said, I knew, I knew that I would be absolutely safe if I just went and sat down again. And that was an option. But she said, I knew that to step out was not something for which I could change my mind. Well, no, you're going down, and the only question is how quickly. And, she, you know, it was irrevocable. It was a complete commitment. Well, she stepped out. She lived. She was well. Friends, how many times has God brought us to a moment? Maybe it's that critical moment about salvation or a deep, deep walk with God that we've always longed for, but somehow somehow we've retreated back to sit down again where we've always sat in life. Maybe there's some special calling that God would put upon us, and, and, and we long for it and believe it's what God wants, but we're frightened to take that step and let go of all the security we already have. Oh, I would pray this morning that God would give you a encouragement out the door. But God actually entreats and invites you as much as He commands you, because He longs. He longs for your willing response. Do not sit back in the place of comfort and security. Do not miss the rescue, the rescuer, when He's here. But take that step, because the God of all the universe is as much here as there. He is before you. He is behind you. He is all around you. And what seems so frightening and risky to you is safe with God. 
Do not fail to avail yourself of what's possible. But also do not, do not miss. Do not miss the opportunity to make available the salvation which is possible for all. I remember once back in my days in Scotland, driving home very late at night. It was probably about one o'clock in the morning. And as I head through a large part of countryside, I see way off to my left headlights in a field moving. And as I got a little nearer, I realized it was harvest time. And the farmer bringing in his wheat or whatever it was had a huge harvester. And there he is going up and down, cutting down his crops at one o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking to myself, foolish man. I remember I phrased it like that to myself at the time. Foolish man. He should be in his bed not doing this at one o'clock in the morning. I got home. I went to my bed. And when I woke the next morning, the wind was howling and hailstones were crashing down. And I realized if that farmer had not got his crop in at one o'clock or whatever time he finally finished the night before, he would have lost it all. There is a moment when something must be done. There is a time in people's lives, and we must not fail them. And there are folks that God brings across our path, and now is the moment. Now is the moment. We keep promising what we'll do tomorrow. Don't you promise you'll go on a diet tomorrow? Don't you promise you'll read your Bible more tomorrow? Don't you promise you'll phone that person you've neglected tomorrow? Friends, I want to tell you that today is the tomorrow you promised yesterday. This is the time. This is the moment. Salvation is certainly possible. And to my last breath, I want to use all the powers and gifts that God has given me, and I want to pour myself through the work of the seminary, but in other ways, I want to pour myself into other people's lives so they become equipped and able to share the good news that I have found, I have been blessed with, that I believe I will experience for all eternity. I want to share that with those for whom it's already possible, but to whom it's never been made available. God give me strength to do that. God give you strength to do that too. Let's journey together so that what's possible for all is truly available to all. Amen.